Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 85 and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And for our discussion on Eternals, we have brought our own ensemble cast together. Uh, we pulled them down from Olympia, or we've told them they're from Olympia. Uh, they're about to get surprised a bit later on. We have, first of all, uh, Greg and Leon from the Ace Comicals podcast. Welcome, guys. Hello, Olympia. I was I I was made on Earth, man. What's yeah, this Olympia uh, stuff? Yeah, um, <laughs> st- stick around. Uh, stick around. You, uh, <laughs> they made a hundred yeah, of me. <laughs> They made a hundred deviants. They made a hundred humans. What's this Olympia stuff, man? <laughs> we'll uh, we'll ease you into it. Um, <laughs> this is the second part of our Ace Comicals X Story X Story. I don't know how that how that works. Anyway, it's a crossover thing. It's a crossover thing. So we joined the Ace Comicals uh, podcast to talk about the or part of the source material, Jack Kirby's Eternals, and we are now bringing them on our show to talk about the film adaptation but that's not all so we also have Vic DeLuca from Mega City Comics to add his voice uh, to this film uh, Vic welcome to the show thanks Nigel thanks guys so we're all here I know uh, Vic Greg Leon will have a lot to say so I feel this is going to be one of those episodes where I can just ask questions of people who know a ton about comics and just listen to their Maybe rants. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. But anyway, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. You can also send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Drop them in our Discord or throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on everything. Uh, before we get into the discussions for today, let's update you with the latest from the Mayamada universe. From the last episode, I think I mentioned Sirius is in print, is now being printed, is uh, is real. Uh, I've held copies in my hand. I took them to Thought Bubble. Uh, it's actually happened. So we've got our latest manga, Sirius Through the Fog, in print and available uh, for yeah, for people to to read, uh, to enjoy. I will be sending out the collector's edition to Kickstarter backers because they're the ones uh, that made it happen and they'll be getting the collector's edition. Uh, some of those will then be available on our website and the standard edition, the standard edition is just uh, there. So the story's there. You can uh, all jump on it. Uh, I know people have been waiting for uh, a while. I actually spoke to someone one of the backers at thought bubble and because we had the i had the standard edition there but not the collector's edition yet so it was like oh i can't i'm not going to touch it i'm just going to wait uh to be sent but it was great to uh meet someone who had actually been part of the the kickstart and making it happen uh over on the video game side we have our november studio 77 activities uh we have an indie developer interview with italian game designer pietro viva who co-founded uh, his own indie studio and we're going to be talking to him uh, about game design because he has a lot of views he already did a whole phd uh, on it so uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about there we also have our games night for november we're jumping back into roblox by popular demand from <laughs> some of our members so we're going to be jumping back onto roblox Wednesday the 24th at 7 p.m. So 
that means by the time you're listening to this, we would have already done it. But you can catch the Twitch VOD. You can also catch the highlights from our other games nights, our first attempt at Roblox. Uh, we played Fortnite. We played Rocket League. You can catch those highlights on the MyMeta YouTube channel. And you can also look forward to the New Year Gamepad online event, which is now confirmed for Saturday, the 15th of January, which is scarily not that far away. Oh, where is this year gone? I know. Uh, it's a good thing we record these podcasts because that's like my how what happened in the year. <laughs> that's my record <laughs> of where we were in the year. So I'm going to have to listen back and find out uh, where this year has gone. So I'll get back to you. Uh, on that but uh yeah so you can join us at the next gamepad online and you are now caught up with my matter so let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week so we're gonna have our spoiler free discussion about what stories people have been reading watching or playing starting with our guests greg would you like to go first oh what have i been doing apart from like I think I think I've been doing like a whole lot of nothing really like in between like just just chilling and just like not 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 absorbing things is is kind of a way to be sometimes isn't it um How do I've been you do going that? back and well you, you just you put Seinfeld on I suppose <laughs> <laughs> but like other than that like just just like some you know old sitcoms on netflix or that kind of thing but other than that i guess i've been like just playing games that i've like revisiting stuff so i played hades a bit i well i was i've been playing hades i've been playing hades for a long time but <laughs> i went back and played hades last week a lot more and i've got slowly gotten back into it again gotten back into try and get out of hell again because Although I've been playing it for quite a while and I've made quite a few attempts to escape hell, I've not actually managed to escape hell. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what Hades is, it's it's essentially a roguelike by um, the people who made uh, the game Bastion. I think, is it Supergiant? Am I correct? Is it Supergiant Games? Yeah, Supergiant Games. Yeah, and um, it's, uh, it's based around um, Greek mythology and you are the son of the god of the underworld and you want to get out of hell because you want to meet your mum basically who if we know our greek myths is persephone right so you're trying to make your way out of hell and you have to fight your way out of hell and obviously with it being a roguelike every time you die you go right back to the beginning but you retain your skills and you just keep trying and trying and trying and trying and just headbutt in that brick wall until eventually you go through it but yeah, I mean, it's it's not as, as bleak as it sounds, or as I make it sound anyway, because it's not actually that... Compared to other roguelike games I've played, it's not actually that... Uh, how, do I, how do I put... What word am I looking for? It doesn't feel as... It's not as frustrating, and it doesn't feel as, as harsh as other roguelike games I've played, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It, it, there's something about it that makes it actually interesting and keeps me interested in it and keeps it addictive. I think it feels crunchy when you're playing it is the best way to describe it, like the mechanics and everything and like the the way that you fight and upgrade the weapons and everything just feels so good as you're going through and making your way through the dungeons that when you get sent back to the beginning, you don't mind. Whereas with other roguelike games, I get very frustrated very fast. And I guess that's that's my take. That's that's what I've been doing. 
Nice. I've still not played Hades it's on my games to playlist. That ever growing list. You need to pick it up and play because it, it is very, very good. It's right there. Like it's right there, and I just have. Oh my god, I'm so terrible. Leon, what about you? Uh, I've been doing a mix of stuff. So I've been watching a few films. I really, in the run up to Halloween, I, I like thought, oh, you know what would be really cool if I watch all the Halloween movies. So I got ready. Um, Netflix has quite a lot of them actually, of the uh, classic Carpenter produced ones. Uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll watch all of those, and I'll, I'll watch um, the zombie ones, Rob Zombie ones, which I've never seen before, and I'll watch the the newer ones, the David Gordon Green ones, which carry on the story from the original Halloween. And then time happened, and Halloween happened, and I didn't get around to watching them. And then, yeah, a week and a bit went by, and I thought, oh, well, I've still got access to all these movies, so let me just watch them all, so... I watched the I rewatched uh, Halloween and Halloween Two, and yeah, the the it's funny revisiting these movies because I'd seen the first three before, and uh, but it's been so many years um, that I've seen them. I only remember like the pop culture elements and like being a big John Carpenter fan. I remember the extra stuff around it, the music, the uh, the atmosphere, and the iconography that that we all sort of know with uh, Michael Myers. So revisiting it, I was wondering how it would hold up, uh, especially the first movie, which he, he directed. And yeah, I quite, quite enjoyed it. It's still really effective, despite the fact that in many ways it like pioneered the sort of 80s slasher um, trend, which continued and, and has evolved throughout the years. Uh, and this one coming out in 1978 it's pared back and it's not simplified but everything is like there's no there's no real like fat on on the bone with with that movie it's very straight to the point and very um and it's very delicate in many ways like we spend a lot of time with like in like killer pov which was quite um novel at, at the time to be in the pov of, of the killer and all the kills are like like they're not grotesque or bloody it's that's, that's the thing that you sort of remember more from like the sequels and the movies that influence but actually it's quite restrained in how it does all the kills and it, it keeps um myers quite a terrifying foreboding otherworldly character as he slowly shifts towards as uh, Laurie runs and runs and runs. But yeah, I, I found it to be quite effective. And then I, I checked out the second one, which I remembered basically nothing about. And I forgot that it continued like the day after the first movie. Uh, but this one's not directed by um, Carpenter. It's actually, they got, they got someone else in to direct it. And, and Carpenter and Deborah Hill wrote it and produced it. Uh, Rick Rosenthal, who directed it. And it's weird. It very much feels sequely. It does feel like, oh, wow, the first movie was a crazy success. We've got to get another one out. And, and this one came out three years later. But it's not terrible. For some reason, I, I thought it was terrible. But it's actually, it's not too bad. It's not, it's not as... Um, iconic or idiosyncratic as the first one but it is quite effective and what they do is they they decide to ramp up the violence in this movie so the kills are a lot more gruesome and and bloody 
uh, which is it's funny to watch because it's still by like the standards of the movies that we get now, it's still very very restrained. But um, for that for for then it was um, it was quite brutal. But the, I guess my main criticism of that movie would be it feels like it's not enough like glory, which is weird because I always think of the Halloween movies especially the beginning ones with like Jamie Lee Curtis having like quite a massive role but it's it's almost like she's a bonus character in, in her own movie but yeah that that's pretty much been me I've got season of the witch ready to go and I'm gonna slowly make my way through the rest of these movies hopefully I've done it by next Halloween but uh, in, in seriousness I'll probably have it done by the end of the month but um yeah definitely recommend going back guys and checking out um the uh the original movies they are they're very um tell you a lot about the error and sort of the the fears in the zeitgeist of america and this whole idea of like home invasions and um suburbia not being as, as safe as everybody uh think it is and um it doesn't it isn't really on the nose with those messages but those things those themes seem to be interwoven just into the 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 core concept but um yeah that's me season of the witch is the one with the masks and the silly advert isn't it yeah 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 happy happy halloween halloween (laughs) halloween yeah i know i have a confession i've only seen like one of the halloweens it's one of the more more modern ones but I've also watched the Halloween Kills trailer like a gazillion times because <laughs> I've been forced to. So I think I get the gist of the whole story. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a guy in a mask chasing around people. Something, something murdered his entire family, yeah, you know. Um, so, Vic, what about you? So, it's funny that Greg mentioned Seinfeld because that's what I've been watching mostly after a long period of just watching anime. It's been uh, really difficult to watch anything with um, real people on the screen. And uh, this, is, this is helping me. Uh, this is helping the addiction. George isn't a real person. <laughs> yeah, George isn't a real person. Kramer, <laughs> Kramer isn't, but that's what's amazing about it. Yeah. Too many people, it might feel dated, especially at the beginning. But once you really get to know the characters, once you get into Seinfeld's humor, you, things really land. Definitely recommend this. Stick with it. Uh, yeah, phenomenal series. I, I completely get it now. And now I find myself like looking at things around and 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 acting like Seinfeld. It's like this observational m- maniacality about it, uh, <laughs> you know. And um, it's getting to me quite a bit. But but it's great because now I can finally watch things with real people. And uh, probably gonna start watching a lot of movies that I missed because of that. That's fine. Real people are underrated. Anime is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's it's in part from a lot of the output that has been lately. I have not been enjoying a lot of, in general, Western content. Really, you know, it feels like right now there is a lot of threading the same waters a little bit. While just by design, a lot of animes that are are basically adapting manga, and mangas are done so that you would turn the page like you know catch the attention of the editor so yeah but their nature are addictive gaming wise i'm only gonna really brush on destiny 2 uh i'm playing with my brother now that's kind of the way we he's in italy i'm here in london so that's kind of the way we connect 
Uh, it's absolutely terrible. Don't play it. It's addictive. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a great shooter that will kill your life and your creativity. <laughs> Do you by any chance know my housemate? Because that's exactly what he says to me. Uh, yeah, plays it every single day. <laughs> I I don't know him, but hit me up. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great. Uh, the, the Destiny thing is just like it really it really works with friends. So if you if you have your your own brother and a, and, a, and a bunch of people, it, it can be really fun and addictive. Um, but this is not by any means a recommendation. Do not get into <laughs> Destiny Two, and uh, forget what I just said. Reading, there's plenty there. So I am finally near the end of 20th Century Boys, and for anyone that hasn't read 20th Century Boys. I don't care who you are, uh, where you're from, how much money you have, drop everything you're doing and grab 20th Century Boys by Naoki Rosawa. This series is probably the best written manga I've ever read. It's a phenomenal, intimate yet epic story. It starts uh, in the 70s as rock and roll music is coming to Japan, hence the name 20th Century Boys, T-Rex. And uh, it's this group of kids that grow up in, uh, in school and they have adventures and they think about saving the world, having uh, the classic uh, League of Evil. Problem is that in present times, 20 years later, their lives have not turned out really well. And there are some things that are happening around the world that uh, resemble the things that they were thinking about and imagining as kids. Uh, the problem is that these are world-ending conspiracies and there you go you have this uh incredible intimate coming-of-age tale and this yet apocalyptic scenario phenomenal characters phenomenal writing it's absolutely the golden standard of comic books it's return to your voice is phenomenal i cannot believe i've missed it for so long and i had to pace myself out because i didn't want to burn myself on everything you can get it in 11 volumes plus one, the perfect editions. An absolute treat of a book, uh, honestly. I don't know if you, any of you guys read it, but I uh, highly recommend it to everyone. I've not read it, but I'm sure someone recommended it to us. I think it's, it has come ago. up, and I'm going to take that as a sign from the universe and uh, get that. It's funny because like every, every time that people talk about manga, obviously Katsuhiro Tomo comes up a lot, uh, Berserk and that sort of thing. And obviously, uh, you know, Otomo might be the greatest artist of all time just because of what kind of maniac he was and <laughs> doing an incredibly difficult building that uh, will have uh, five different perspectives in a page and then, um, <laughs> and then never show that building again. But uh, so Naoki Rosawa is not that kind of artist. Still phenomenal art, but uh, his character work and, um, and his word building are just prime material so yeah strongly recommend that mm. i'm gonna just quickly go over mine because i i feel like we've got a lot to talk about with the eternals i have been i just binge watched the latest season of lock and key which is a really good show definitely recommend it it's on netflix and it's about magic and a mystery I don't want to spoil it, so that's all I'm going to put out there. And that and lock and keys are very relevant to the the story. Not called that for no reason. Um, but yeah, I just really love the characters in it, and I love ugh, I love Gabe so much. 
<laughs> and I can't say why, but yeah, my favorite character is Gabe. But yeah, and then I also watched Red Notice this weekend, which just came out this weekend, which is Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot in it. And uh, it's a it's about three these three like eggs that were treasures of Cleopatra's, and uh, they're basically trying to steal them. Certain characters in it are trying to steal it. It's like the greatest art thieves uh, battling out to steal steal the, these free eggs for. Okay, now I can't say that because I will spoil it <laughs> um, for money. <laughs> as these art thieves do <laughs> um yeah like it's it's just like a very fun action-packed like art heist film like it's not it's not a very serious one but it's definitely a very fun one uh and if you enjoy ryan reynolds then you know obviously you're gonna enjoy this film um and then i also started playing star wars knights of the old republic which we've spoke about previously, and I had never played. I'm really enjoying it. That's good to um, hear. Yeah, absolute classic. Nigel, what about you? Uh, so I've got a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, I wanted to quickly mention The Mandalorian, which I've started season two. And I know we're going to be doing a whole retrospective on that, which I guess for me is not really retrospective because I'm now <laughs> uh, watching it. But you know what the idea. But I really enjoy that. And I think we've brought it up, Taz, you brought it up on the, on the show uh, a number of times but i just like the idea of it's star wars without the baggage for me and it just feels like every time i watch it i can enjoy it and i can enjoy the universe and i'm just loving the main character the relationship between him uh, and baby yoda and obviously from watching season one understanding where all the memes came from uh, and what <laughs> those mean so yeah i just wanted to give that a shout because i know we're going to go into more detail when we do our special episode on that but the other thing I do want to bring up again, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, so I'm doing a back-to-back -back on this, is Kuroko's Basketball, which I finished season one on. And I think when I brought it up before, I was trying to decide if I like it because it's basketball-themed and I like basketball, or because it's a good anime. I feel it's a good anime. I think I'm more confident in saying uh, it's a good anime. And it does a, a couple things that I quite like. And, well, three things. One is the basketball. So two other things. It has this just underdog vibe it made me think back to uh the mighty ducks i don't know if you guys okay. remember let's watch that it's not the same story it's not a similar story but in the same way that i remember watching the mighty ducks and feeling that i am with this team so kuroko's basketball it follows well it follows a few characters but the main one being kuroko kuroko and Kagami. Kuroko is a kid who was part of this special team of really talented uh, middle school basketball players known as the Generation of Miracles. And uh, the five players on a basketball team, uh, five Generation of Miracles. He was a sixth player. But his thing is, he has no presence such that it becomes a superpower because people don't notice him on the court and he can pass like anyone's business. So he but he can't play basketball other than that so it takes this underdog character puts him on this underdog team pairs him with a, a more powerful more traditionally uh, capable basketball player 
and they're on this journey of building themselves up, improving themselves individually uh, as a team and having to face off against, uh, I assume I haven't got to all of them, but I guess each of the generation of miracles uh, as they progress. So yeah, it just does that underdog story. So like the Mighty Ducks, you're kind of, you're with this team. And I feel that this anime does a good job of putting you with this team uh, as they progress. And then the other thing was specifically for Kuroko, just I already mentioned about being a character who is, I guess, underpowered. Um, that underdog character and I feel like manga and anime do that really well putting forward like front and center characters who don't tick all the traditional skilled or capable boxes but are the main character and you see why he is important so even though he can't uh he can't shoot he can't definitely can't dunk um can't do much else with the basketball apart from pass um just at a ridiculously high level but you understand why he is important to the team and even the other generation of miracles respect and in some cases uh fear at least his skill uh in that sense so it really puts forward that type of character where you don't need to be the classical hero you can be you and you works and this is how you're going to make it work and still improve so uh yeah i feel it's a good anime i keep watching it. i'm going on to season two uh now but definitely recommend that i feel like i need to get back into it and i wasn't going to comment on like would you say kuroko is an underdog because He's just underestimated. He's a he's a relative underdog. <laughs> yeah, because his get... whole team, like like you said, like his whole middle school team, completely completely respects his abilities. But people are like, oh, you don't have a. We can't see that you're a strong basketball player by looking at you, because yeah. you don't hit the the quota that we think a basketball player should have yeah he's an underdog in terms of he's con- he is still considered differently and in a sense less than just because of who he is as a person so yeah. I, I put him in that category because of that but yeah i definitely say get back into that those are the things that we have been enjoying story-wise uh, now let's get to our main story discussion And today we're going to be talking about Eternals, the 2021 comic book film based on the Marvel comics of the same name, created by Jack Kirby and directed by Chloe Zhao. So spoiler alert from this point on, we're going to be getting into all the spoilers um, for Eternals. If you haven't watched it, watch it, come back to us and we'll help you make sense of everything. That's why we've got our guests here today because they're going to help me make sense of everything. Uh, before I do a recap of the story, I want to get a quick impression from each person. Uh, so I'll start with Vic. What's your overall impression of this film? Uh, a little bit of a mess. Uh, I hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little mess for me on this one. It was definitely, I'm sure that we can all agree that it wasn't as bad as the critics say. Uh, at least, At least for me, I feel like they got a lot of things right um but i feel like they got so many things wrong that it didn't save it it's a shame because um even though we we had fantastic four even though we had other properties that kirby was uh basically responsible uh, for the majority this one was the one that um that it's it's basically it's basically kirby's marvel characters you know in, in terms of in terms of what it could have been but uh, i'll get to into that uh later on but yeah definitely a bit of a mess not as bad as i thought i went in thinking it was going to be terrible i didn't think it was terrible um i just thought it could have been a lot better but they did get quite a few things right 
Okay. All right. Cool. I, I totally get that. I get that. And let's uh, check in with Ace Comical. So, uh, Greg, Leon, what did you guys think? I feel like I'm on a, a very similar page to Vic, whereas I think that from a story perspective, it is very messy, uh, especially structure-wise. And I think there's things that are inherent to the story from, like, Kirby's page, which do make turning this into a two-plus-hour movie a bit of a hurdle. I think that uh, Chloe Zhao and her team were a lot more successful than the critical consensus would have you believe. And I think that part of the reason for it having like the, the lowest uh, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic score is that, as, as well as... Ha- having some big like in my opinion story issues i think also the movie breaks a bit from how previous mcu movies which are at their heart action comedy quip fests with sort of mostly about humans who have a very uh, who have like sort of standard hero motivations and are often dealing with some sort of family thing or finding a new family uh, and it's about them sort of dealing with things in terra firma and when it breaks from that when you have something like a guardians or a captain marvel or something like that especially in guardians guardians adds an like two extra heaping doses of like uh, comedy and quips in there to to overcome the the wildness of of the setting and and the characters and I think this movie breaks from that and is inherently as a story prospect kind of about unrelatable characters. But I think it's way more successful in getting across its themes and ideas and giving you an enjoyable time uh, for the two hours and 37 minutes, I think it is, that you spend. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it it's... I think it's it's a thing where people shouldn't... I mean, I don't want to get into a whole thing here, but I think this is like proof positive that people shouldn't look to aggregate sites to determine what they're going to watch. But I'll leave it at that. But um, I think that it's worth just to dive in because it for, for its quote unquote failures, and that's, that's my words there, I do think it's doing a lot of really cool things. And um, I'm looking forward to us like diving deeper into it. But yeah, that's my mm-hmm. sort of overview. Okay. And Greg? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, again, I'm in the same boat, but I'm kind of, like, not in the same boat as the other two. I'm being dragged along the side in a, <laughs> a inflatable donut or something. Because, like, I feel like I understand why it did what it did and why it had to try to condense... Because it, it, to, for them to, to go ahead and adapt what we know the Eternals to be as comic fans into a two and a half hour film and explain it to people in two and a half hours, something that we get maybe 30 or 40 comics worth of explanation on something, some like it, it basically tries to do the job of explaining a whole concept and a whole idea of where life began in two and a half hours, life began in the universe in two and a half hours. Um, and, and that's something that's done over 
like wait like i i well countless books basically and and it's it, i can understand why they did what they did why they cut it down slimmed it down why it feels messy but i don't like i said i don't like like the other guys have said i don't think it's something that it, i don't think it's as bad as the critics are saying it is i think it's actually quite an enjoyable movie still and um i i liked some of the stuff that was going on I thought it was it was cool and and I liked that it was it, it adapted ideas from across because obviously there's things that it takes from different portions of eternal stories from across the history of the Eternals like throughout uh, all the Eternals comics that have been published from Jack Kirby all the way to the latest stuff that's on the shelves now and it's it's just one of those things really where they have to like they have so much to adapt. Where do they begin? And you obviously want to get it. You want to keep it up to, up to date, but you want to, you want to make sure that you tell the story. You want to make sure you're faithful, but you also want to leave your own mark on it. And, and that's, I sympathize with what has happened here. I do. But at the same time, yeah, I can, I can feel what everyone else can feel with it. And I can say to you as well that you, probably shouldn't listen to rotten tomatoes and she should probably just go and watch it in the cinema because you will like it i mean if there's yeah, if there's one lesson that uh that could be one uh tazzy uh what did you think you saw it like on opening day as well um opening weekend weekend close enough yeah okay i loved the film i think it was great and i don't understand why anyone else has anything <laughs> bad to say about it <laughs> <laughs> it's why um, I like Tazzy because uh, you love the wrong things <laughs> and I think it's because I also I genuinely try not to go into any films with any expectations but also like when I went in to watch it I was halfway through reading the comic that we spoke about on the Ace Eternals the Ace Eternals Ace Comicals <laughs> you can call us the Ace Eternals if you like we don't mind yeah yeah that's not a bad name with it. you guys yeah, considered yeah. rebranding yeah. <laughs> over on the uh, Ace Comicals podcast so I was like halfway through reading the comic and so like I was still very fresh I didn't have any expectations to be had going into it so yeah I feel like that's it's a nice way to go into films actually mm. low stakes but no just in general like as an mcu film it was nice i felt like it was actually like watching a, a film that wasn't the exact same as all the others <laughs> not that they are the exact same and i love marvel films but it, was, it just felt different in a nice way mm. yeah i, I want to dig into more into your opinion in particular tassie because i know you've mentioned about marvel films being again like you say not all the same but very similar enough that you know when do you get tired of it but i think i generally agree with what the others have said as well and uh, i say it again which is why i like having people who like know their comics they can give us like the full context for things i i did enjoy it and i agree with the the point about rotten tomatoes i also feel this is one of the this is an example of some form of like social media pylon where someone says it's bad and everyone has to jump on and because I went in, when Vic says it like it was a mess, I, I, there were definitely like structural issues. But I was going in thinking I was going to see Batman v Superman. Like that to me was a mess of a film. <laughs> uh, that ruined my life for a full yeah. year. <laughs> Eternals is not Batman v Superman. There is a film yeah. there. And I feel that the key things for, well, I guess any film, but something like this is like, do I know what's happening? Do I know who it's happening to? And do I care? 
and I feel <laughs> the first two this film gets enough of. The third one, we'll get into it as to whether it, it hits that, maybe not as much as it could have. But I think there was enough there to enjoy it while still being able to point out here's where the flaws are. And uh, before I do the recap, the last thing I'll say again, thank you to Greg and Ace Comicals for making me read uh, the original material because that gave me really good con- uh, context for what what had changed and also what they just had to work with because the original, there's a lot. Like Jack Kirby's Eternals, it's not a mess, but there is a lot in there to work with. So it's not a it's not a small thing that they were able to get this into a two and a half hour film. So I kind of got appreciation for the effort, if nothing else. So I know we're gonna get into it, but not enough to care about. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, just, putting, I'm just putting out there. I didn't say I didn't say I didn't care. I'm just putting out there. I'm I've, That's I've got an a point. Interesting on that. point. <laughs> and I wanna know more. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go into more discussion on that. Let me do a recap. This story takes us to 5000 BC, where superpowered Eternals are sent by the celestial Arishem to Earth to exterminate deviants, but leave humanity largely to their own devices. The group differs over their relationship with humans. So over the next 500 years, they mostly live apart from each other, awaiting Arishem's return. In the present day, Cersei and Sprite live together in London. Cersei is in a relationship with Dane Whitman, who works at the Natural History Museum. On a night out in Camden, the group is attacked by the Deviant Crow, with the eternal Icarus arriving and chasing the creature away. Realising the Deviants have returned, they travel to reunite with the prime eternal Ajax, only to find her dead. Cersei is chosen by Ajax as her successor, giving her the ability to communicate with Arishim, who reveals that the mission the Eternals was not to fight the Deviants, but to prepare Earth for the emergence. The Celestials plant their seeds on populated planets to birth new Celestials, with the Deviants sent ahead to destroy Apex Predators and so ensuring the development of life. However, the Deviants evolved and began hunting other populations. So the Celestials created the Eternals to cull them. Earth has now reached the required population level for the birth of a Celestial, which will result in Earth's destruction. By this point, the Eternals have learned to love humanity and mostly decide to defy orders and prevent the emergence. Cersei, Icarus and Sprite reconvene with Kingo, Makari, Gilgamesh and Thena. While meeting Druig in the Amazon rainforest, they are attacked by the Deviants and Gilgamesh is killed by Crow. The Eternals then visit Fastos, who suggests Druig put the baby Celestial to sleep by amplifying his mind control powers with the Unimind, a connection between all of the Eternals. It is then revealed that Icarus knew of the emergence and chose to remain loyal to Arishim, killing Ajax to prevent her from stopping it. Sprite joins Icarus, while Kingo also leaves the group as he is unwilling to fight his teammates. Makari locates the emergent site, and the Eternals battle Icarus and Sprite before being attacked by Crow, who is eventually killed by Thena. The remaining Eternals work together to subdue Icarus and Sprite, while Fastos activates the Unimind. Icarus soon breaks free of his restraints, but is unable to kill Cersei. This allows her to turn the Celestial into marble. Guilt-ridden, Icarus flies into the sun, didn't see that coming, while Cersei uses the remaining energy from the Union Mind to turn Sprite into a human, ending her permanent childlike state. 
but Cersei, Fastos, and Kingo are remotely dragged to space by Arisham, who states his displeasure over their insubordination, but decides to spare humanity if humans can be shown to be worthy of living and vows to return for judgment. And because this is a Marvel film, we have the mid credit scene where Athena, Makari, and Druig are visited by the Eternal Eros, Thanos' brother, and his assistant, Pip the Troll, who offer their help. And in the post credit scene, Dane opens an old chest inherited from his ancestors that contains the leg- legendary Ebony Blade, when an unseen voice, <coughs> Blade, <coughs> questions him whether he is ready for it. And that is the end. Oh, that's who the voice was. I was like, <laughs> this is relevant. And I know it's relevant. I know there's going to be people who know who this voice is. And I'm annoyed that I don't know who the voice is. I was like, that's my husband. I was like, okay. <laughs> so... Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go for the the comic. I want to, because I had a question on this film, just essentially the existence of this film, because as I understand, Eternals is not necessarily a fan favorite comic or at least wide, widespread. So I wondered why is this film being made? I don't know if uh, Vic uh, or Greg Leon, you can offer any insight to why this particular film is being made. Well, obviously... We're just after Endgame, and clearly the studios want to bring the stakes to a galactic level. And uh, the fact that the Eternals, it's not a fan-favorite comic, it's its proven that it's not really a fact that matters. Uh, they've turned properties that were basically non-existent into massive blockbusters, just like Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant-Man. Uh, nobody was reading Garden of the Galaxy at the time. When I say nobody, I mean... Yeah, low num- <laughs> the majority low numbers. Low, low numbers, yeah. There was a Dan Abnett series that was very good at the time. And they didn't really adapt anything from those comics. They really, they really went for their own take. They hired a director that could, could have his own take on it. So they've proven that they can just take a property and completely transform it. So obviously there is a necessity to up the scales after Thanos and the Eternals, the Celestials. That is a is a very good way to do it. So I think it's a good move to um, to try and do the Eternals and especially the Celestials. I'm not sure. Obviously these movies they take a long time to make and whatever whatever plans they have for. The Fantastic Four and the X-Men in the future, now that they have the rights to, again. That's probably something that is not going to happen for another decade, if not more. So, um, hopefully not. But I would think that Celestial is kind of really the endgame of endgames. And having, you know, Galactus as the sort of like big face two would have been uh, a better choice. But uh, th- this is what we got. And... Um, yeah, I think I would think it was a it was a necessary shift, and uh, from the pool of cosmic characters, those are it could have been it could have been a Garden of Galaxy situation. For me, it wasn't, but uh, but yeah, that that's my answer for that. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I guess yeah, they have taken characters from relative obscurity into like, oh wow, we love these characters. So uh, no, I can see that. I mean, yeah, what do you all think? I feel like Vic hit the nail on the head with that. To be honest. Hmm. I would have said it was up in the States. I don't know 
if they aim to continue with the Celestials being the next massive threat or whether this is just set up for something else because we know... I feel like they're heading into Defenders territory and I feel like there's going to be something going on with Doctor Strange because um, I think that the Chang-Chi stuff and Doctor Strange and then the Black Knight and I think they're going to do Defenders. And I think phase two is going to be defenders and then maybe some like magical threat. Okay. Possibly something to do with um, the ending of WandaVision um, with the like, because they they introduce, um, is it Cathan? I think it is, isn't it? In the book at the end of WandaVision. And they're probably going to go for the... Uh, I think they might do Defenders with Doctor Strange at, at, at the head of it, basically. I mean, it is Marvel, so obviously this is setting up later uh, events. And I will say that... So as I was putting the notes together, just seeing in terms of like uh, box office, because that's uh, important to the people that make the films. Like it debuted at $71 million in US box office. I don't know what the uh worldwide was but i think at by this point like people have come to expect those films to generate more than 100 100 million dollars in the opening weekends but then pandemic and to where we are now so i i feel that's pretty good so i feel even though this might not be a fan favorite comic or characters that general audiences are familiar with it seems to have done or is doing well despite you know uh some kind of marvel fatigue and i will say i, I do think some of the criticism at least i feel some of the criticism is is aimed at the film itself but i feel there might also be a a general marvel fatigue maybe audiences growing tired and, and eternals is just the one that maybe push people too far of like uh another marvel film more characters to keep track of and i wonder if if there's a bit of that i think you're definitely happening. uh right there because um this movie was from a director that it's not famous for action movies whatsoever and um yeah it was criticized that too. that's yeah. right yeah it was criticized for those specific reasons and um it is is a movie that critic probably felt too long uh and that's never good for for critics you can um usually when you look at ratings critics don't like movies that a uh, few people are checking their phones in the cinema <laughs> so the, the, i think the combination of this two factor um being the director someone that has a certain fame is an oscar winning director not an action movie director and um and what you just said that that's very good points for me it definitely done the opposite from marvel fatigue i was like new new, new right yeah yeah that's like, what i I'm like, oh, this is, this is not like now this has me hyped, like all these unknowns. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen rather than the whole, like, with like the new Spider-Man and everyone's like, oh, I see this thing and this thing. And this is <laughs> like with this, it's like, I had no idea. And there's very few people that have much idea about the Eternals. So I don't see as much like, apart from like people that are real, real comic book, book enthusiasts, hardly anyone's like, oh, it should be like this, and I see this, da, da, da. it's like, nice. <laughs> I see what you mean. And because for you, because I know uh, a little while ago you were saying about upcoming Marvel films and being a, 
bit tired. I don't, I don't know if that's the exact word used, but just being a bit tired of it. It sounds like this has renewed some enthusiasm for the MCU in general. Yeah, definitely. Before I was like, oh yeah, like I want to watch everything, but not as much as like everything before, you know, the whole 10 year yeah. build up. I was like, I need to see it all and I want to see when it comes out. So this is like, oh, okay, now I actually do. Maybe I do want to see everything. <laughs> yeah, I get And that is why I thought might happen because, I mean, we've talked about the MCU a lot and I, I feel coming out of Endgame, I personally want Marvel to do different things. It could be after building up a decade of uh, films that kind of fit a certain formula, it could be very easy to just fall back into let's give people the same thing that they expect and just let's keep doing that. But like, I want to see different things that that may not work all the time. And, you know, you can argue how well this worked or uh, how it didn't. I guess that's what we're here, right? We're going to do that. But overall, I, I'd like to see the effort. I'd like to see something just different because there's so much story for Marvel to work with. There's so many different ways in terms of like going from comics to screen that you can uh, play about with things. I would just hate for them to just give us the same thing or just see something completely different. So that's why I like this. And I thought people would by and large agree <laughs> but from when when i'm seeing the criticism that's why i'm saying is there a general like not even specific to this film but is there a sort of general like anti-mcu thing that is building up and to a certain extent i get it and tazzy if you want me to go into the caring the people caring bit, i can do that now yeah let's go for it yeah to, uh, <laughs> to add to my point because so for me i feel one of the challenges that an mcu will have is for an average audience, where do you go after you have wiped out half the universe and brought it back? Like, where do you go from there? And what the Eternals does is introduce 10, 10 Eternals, 10 new, like brand new characters, put them in a, in a format that, you know, speaking of formula, that is, is not the MCU formula we've seen so far. So far, we've seen individual story, individual story, get to know the characters then put the ensemble piece here we have the straight to ensemble piece so i feel there's some element of us being trained to care about characters backstories before we get the group thing and here we just just dived into the group thing me personally i'm okay with it but i feel that might be some of the the backlash against like who are these people not only are they new but their their power levels are so like vast to make them quite unrelatable to a certain extent like how do you care about these characters if you're just like the average audience like i don't know Absolutely. is that making sense yeah what you're saying makes sense but i don't feel like it applies <laughs> okay why so do you not think i felt it applies? like the characters were more relatable even though they had like superhuman powers they felt more human in certain ways because of the emotions that they had and the difficulties that they were struggling with it kind and like everyone was so different all the characters were so different and then the caring was like a you, we all live on earth <laughs> how could the, the stakes are that like if we were existing in this universe the stakes would be that we would die <laughs> the whole entire human race is about to get um, wiped out not just half of it this time the whole not just the human race the whole planet everything everything yeah. all the dogs think of the dogs <laughs> <laughs> like and then it was like the relationships that they'd made with the humans um and then it was like a it wasn't so much about the individual characters 
it was about as a collective their experience with humans and it also had like a bit of a like fast and furious kind of like with family (laughs) (laughs) and you know most of us have a form of family so that should be relatable and if you have to have an individual backstory for each character i feel like you're lacking a certain level of empathy that's like not about a singular ego i i feel that vin diesel is in fact an eternal <laughs> is disney on fast and furious too i feel they own everything i don't know <laughs> yeah they're listening right now. If they're listening right now, they need to introduce Vin Diesel into the Eternals because he's got the yeah. family put down. So. <laughs> they already have his number. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. But, okay. And on the stakes thing. All right. So let me, I'll put something to you, uh, Tazian. Uh, anyone else can jump in on this. So, so, yes, the end of the world, you can get that on some level. But sometimes I feel there's also an element of if the, if the stakes are too big, that it's hard to latch on to. So it's the same reason for similar reason, like charity advert advertising will focus on a single person or single child rather than the whole scale of the the issue because people generally can attach themselves to a particular person. So uh, it made me think back to actually when uh, Greg was on our uh, podcast for The Dark Knight and thinking to the end of that film, where the stakes at the end of that film were wasn't the whole world. It was it was two boats full of people in the grand scheme of things, relatively low stakes. But because it represented the clash of ideals between Batman and uh, the Joker, you could understand that better than say the world's going to blow up because we know, like deep down, we know the world's not going to blow up. Well, like that did exist in this. So there's Cersei's boyfriend and we open up with their relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you're like, like immediately I was like, I can feel, I can feel the connection in this relationship. You know, there's a lot of jealousy involved as well of like the uh, the ex-boyfriend that he thinks is a pilot and then finds out is, you know, Icarus. And then even like Icarus's reactions (laughs) to the boyfriend like again really like human emotions of jealousy like it was classic love triangle going on there and I I don't feel that needs to be like really explained for people to understand that level of stakes Mm -hmm. like it was clearly shown like how much Cersei cares about this one human when you show that like especially when they start to talk about like, oh, so how long were you two together? And she's like, you know, a few thousand years. Yeah. Like, and so for her to care so much about a human whose life is, you know, at, at the most like a hundred. <laughs> un, un, unexpected and, in an MCU, yeah. in an MCU verse, <laughs> like a very unlikely, but you know, like immortal. So that shows like how, I think it like puts so much emphasis on how much like she cares about this one individual person. And then we get uh, Fastos with his family. And oh my God, I like cried when he was saying goodbye to his little boy. Yeah. Like, because, and how, and you could tell the emotion because it was like he'd gone from really not liking humans because, you know, they used his... Um, how he helped them develop weapons that then 
destroyed yeah, atomic bombs yeah. yeah and they linked that to the atomic bomb and i mean the way they linked the eternals to history i thought was brilliant um <laughs> um and then even uh druig's connection with his little cult <laughs> and like how much even from the beginning like we saw how much passionate how passionate he was like about humans and 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 their connection to them and then we have kingo's valet yeah and with his valet uh karun yeah he was brilliant he was just with us the whole time as this like perfect comedy (laughs) comic relief and also continuously like reminding them about the stakes and that he is human and he's there and he's like and goes like best friends essentially yeah and i'm like so there's all these small human like close connections if you're not picking up on those then Boy, everyone's got a heart of pure ice. Because <laughs> I was emotional. <laughs> I think part of that boils down to like execution on one hand and also what or an audience member would bring to a particular thing because I think different levels of execution work differently on other people. And generally, if you're a more like empathetic person really subtext can be text for you you don't really need the extra the glue the extra glue or the extra uh stuff in in there to 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 connect you straight away whereas on a bigger if you think of it i guess as a as a spectrum and everybody's on it on a different level there'll be people all the way on the complete opposite end of tazzy who are quite cynical especially when it comes to these movies and views them as just like disposable uh popcorn and is or is like very snarky and is like what's marvel going to do to uh, impress me yeah. now there's going to be a, like a wall built up there where a lot all, a lot of those things mentioned c- would work normally but they at this point where we're like 20 however many movies in 24 whatever it is movies in i think it's more but anyway yeah, um, 26 yeah uh, 26 movies in um, they I think at this point they might require a, a, a bit more of that glue and I think that everybody is along the spectrum where different levels of execution of that would work in a different way so for instance for me I'm able to like intuit all of those connections but for me where it falls short is that I never really bought into things like the Cersei Icarus relationship because I just don't feel that those two really had like I understood the text of it which is like they've they've been together for for a long time and and all the complications that come with like living centuries amongst people who like only live for a, a century at most and would have been way less when they first arrived but they never really like worked for me because I I didn't really buy their relationship and it's not I didn't really need to see more of it and they they do like, is that an actor thing? It might be an actor thing because I think is I like both of the actors um, and there's other sequences um, throughout the movie where I do think they work well together but I never really bought them as as a couple and so I was never really bought into the stakes of of them as a couple and instead it was more how Icarus related to the rest of the team. But I, I think for me, who is someone who's who's giving this movie a bit more of the benefit of the doubt, and I met the movie halfway, but 
yeah, that element didn't work for me as much as like other elements, which didn't really get as much spotlight on. So I think that like, say for instance, the Fina Gilgamesh relationship, which is on the, on the page quite bare bones, but I think that the actors and the direction brings a lot to that. So a lot of what's unsaid is it works a lot for me. And I'd say the same, but to a lesser degree for the Druig uh, Makari like uh, friendship where for them, it's just a couple, a little bit of flirting here and there, but there's a lot more magic in that than what worked for me with Cersei and Icarus. So that's where I think the disconnect might happen to, especially people who are a lot less charitable to the film. If we're talking about eternal between eternal relationships, that I think that was spot on. <laughs> like Vakari and, and Drake, like just you felt it throughout the whole, it like was a slow build through it and you sort of like saw them flirting in, a be in the beginning and then you saw like even like towards the end and the end fight I think someone someone questions maybe it was Fastos like wait are they a thing <laughs> and you're, yeah, you're kind yeah. of watching it and you're like how have you not seen this happening <laughs> yeah I absolutely agree with Leon on this it's um it's incredible how there was barely anything with Makari and Druig and that felt more real than Plenty of the movies spent with Icarus and, and Cersei, and it, they really did not do it for me. I feel like Cersei definitely had more to act with, and and um, and to me felt like, you know, she she would have probably thought that um, that Icarus was a, was a little bit of a loser, like he's only good looking, you know. <laughs> like I don't buy that character would like that other character, <laughs> other than they're both really hot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's why Cersei ultimately doesn't like Icarus and chooses a human. I think Icarus is more one-dimensional in the film than he is in the book. Oh, can we talk about that? Because <laughs> remember on the on the podcast you said, "Oh, Icarus is really one-dimensional, one-dimensional," and then you mentioned oh, something yeah. about Superman, and I was like, "In," I was trying not to laugh because the film <laughs> straight up calls him Superman. Yeah, and he wears red and blue, and he flies. <laughs> Whereas Superman is not one-dimensional, Superman is a multifaceted, well-rounded character that it, you're actually able to empathise with because he is of Earth. He is human um, as much as he is from Krypton. But like Icarus or... like um, th th Here's the thing, right? So I've been calling him Icarus for as yeah. long as I've been reading comics <laughs> and, and thinking that he's supposed to be called Icarus because the humans can't say his name right. And that's how I always read it. Like, okay, so people aren't saying his name right. And the, the way the human mind wraps itself around the eternal word is Icarus. And I'm thinking, okay, that's right. So Cersei must be something like Cersei, like with a gap or something, and Makari instead of Mercury, which makes sense. But they just straight up call him Icarus. And I'm thinking, is it meant to be Icarus or is it Icarus? I think, I think they had to do it though. Simplified it as well. Yeah. So that people can make the connection as well of like mythology and history. Because if they had to explain every single thing. Griffin got it from him flying into the sun. So. He literally throws himself <laughs> into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like, because otherwise they would have had to be, because they, who, who do they, I think Fina has like, it's Fina, right. not a Fina, not a Fina. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, if they had yeah. that for everyone, it would be like a bit tiring so i feel like they right. had to like yeah. you know not <laughs> i don't know i 
I, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just wondering, I'm now questioning myself. Was I saying it wrong all along? No, I think you're <laughs> right. I... Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And then one of the other things I wanted to touch on, and we're going to get into the characters as well and the, the relationships, is the amount of detail having to be packed into this film. So because having now read Jack Kirby's work and seeing the amount of detail they had to, to work with, there is a lot going on. And I think I said this for the comic. I'm saying this for, for the film. I think this is another thing that uh, accounted to the, I guess, the mess, because I heard that a lot. Uh, I don't know, Vic, you've, you've mentioned that as well. So how do you think they've handled the, that transition from comic to film in terms of like the dialogue, there's quite a bit of exposition. I guess you you need to do that. And, and I saw some feedback of people saying, you know, I was trying to uh, do too much. I don't know how how much those people might be aware of how much is in the original work, but uh, what do you think? So uh, this attaches itself to a lot of the things that you and Tazi were actually talking about, about character work. So one of the strengths of the Marvel Universe throughout most of the movies is that they didn't adapt one specific book for any of the movies or one specific take. And that that's why um, Zack Snyder did so bad for his movies. He's read only Frank Miller graphic novels, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what you get. While for most movies, they, they've, they've cherry-picked and they mix things up to really grasp the characters and, um, and then do their own thing. And that's been, I think, a very big strength of the Marvel Universe because a lot of things do not work in comics. For this specific one movie, you mm -hmm. have Kirby dialogue. So now, Kirby was just off of the, the DC Fourth Ward saga and all the New God stuff. And we're talking about Darkseid, Audio, and all these really cool concepts. Things that who knows if we are going to get in movies. But once, once he's back in Marvel, Marvel tells them, like, can we have that? And he goes like, sure. And he goes with Eternals. But um, in terms of the comic itself, it's funny that I, I remember reading this probably 15 years ago. I was lucky enough to read all the classics. Um, in Italy, there was a really good publication that would reprint all the classics. And of all the Marvel work, this is the one that I remember the least. And um, yeah, that's saying something for a Kirby, okay. Kirby book. And, and this, this is not... If this was your first Kirby book, make sure that you don't read it. <laughs> And uh, because because it is all so much better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so much going on as well. It's so hard. <laughs> Having said that, really hard to translate that in a movie. And there is a lot of really really stoic concepts and um, and very specific, uh, almost owlic dialogue. And you know, this more than story attaches itself to visuals. But in terms of story. I think one of the reasons as well, you guys um, were like, oh, I, I like this movie, uh, I didn't like this movie, is because they do some of the characters right. I, I believe that the characters are correct. And once you have a character in a story, you're more than halfway through there. The problem is that the story got in the way so much of all these character moments that it really, for some people, it might have been not a problem. For some people, it really distracted them from what was going on. And I'm talking about story bits like the, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the 12 years old name? I'm forgetting now. Sprite. So Sprite's backstabbing Cersei at the end of the movie. All this, like, the, the, that jealousy. It, it's all these character bits that could have been explored much better. But because there was, there was 
this one Kirby storyline in there. There was Earth X. Um, the whole Celestial in the Earth is actually from Earth X, which is a Kirby a comic, and uh, much later in the years. It's it's two or three storylines mashed together. You have the you 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 have this whole uh, story that spans across countries, character work, threat, celestial threat. It's so many things in one movie that unfortunately that that's not the important part. The fact that the story is so madly. The important part is that the story gets in the way of all that character work. There are so many things that uh, so many movies that Marvel Universe did where story was so not important, especially something like Garden of the Galaxy 2, that the story in that movie is absolutely useless. And it's all character work there, especially between uh, the sister relationship and the father relationship and just having this character grow. At the end of the movie, what you feel is what the characters have gone through. And this was a lot of storylines in the way of all this relationship. That's what was the worst things for me on this movie. And that's why, for me, story-wise, it fails. I think one uh, connection I could put there is that... Um, so oh, yeah. we all watch anime here, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know how... <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think they do it as much now, but for a lot of uh, older anime, um, you'd get like a season, like 24, 25, 26 episodes, and then they'd also release like an OVA, which would uh, condense um, like a, the whole season down to like two hours or so. Mm-hmm. And this movie feels like the OVA of like an Eternals Disney Plus show that we we've not seen. <laughs> such a good <laughs> line, absolutely. Yeah, yes, I, I absolutely that. because like it has <laughs> all these big beats, but we don't have the connective tissue just because there's not enough time. And um, and I as as uh, as we were saying that you mm. are, I, I think with like say Guardians, which I remember at the time was part of like a wave that was sort of being looked at in a positive way, obviously, but in, in a negative way, what they refer to them as post plot. And so like, that's on the complete opposite spectrum as this, where it, with a post plot thing, it means that it doesn't matter what's going on in the story, even beyond the concept of a MacGuffin, which is like, like just an item to get the story moving, but like a movie like guardians and a lot of like blockbusters at the time, it was like, you could replace the story with anything. And the whole thing is just that we're spending time with interesting characters and um, like fun music and stuff like that and cool action scenes. And I think that this would be an, such an overcorrection here because now it's like, it's a pure plot storyline where now it's a post character storyline to a degree because there's so many times where you kind of just want to like hang out with characters at times to 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 see them like see what they do yeah and i think a lot of the the strengths that you get with this movie are those times like like uh, tazzy mentioned with uh fastos's family that's a quieter moment and it it hits a, a lot a lot more and the stuff with um druig and and makari uh, that stuff is is small and it doesn't move the story on, but it's a nice time to focus on these characters and, and get bits and pieces. And we get like, they're having to do a lot with a little in those sequences, but because this show, uh, sorry, this movie <laughs> has to set up its own sort of contained universe to a degree, it has to rewrite all of modern human history, as well as introduced us to 10 new superheroes mm. on top of that, 
It's a lot. It's got bad guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's got (laughs) introduced these bad guys, which are a concept which is even higher. And then it has to fit it into the MCU and remember that things like the snap and the blip have happened and focus all that stuff in and still and get it done in all this time that you you're definitely going to just lose so much because i don't know up giving us a lot of these beats it, it get it's like you are watching the speed run of 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 a of a season of tv and and you definitely feel whiplash from it i want to give my nice little positive spin on everything <laughs> <laughs> keep us positive Tazzy. so oh there's so many things i want to say from that i already had like a thought <laughs> I, all those characters kind of built, got built up, like, we learned to, like, they had, I don't know, like, even Iron Man, like, yeah, first Iron Man film everyone loved, but loving Iron Man took time, like, everyone's, like, expecting there to suddenly be all these characters that we love, but forget that, that it's, it's been 10 years of creating, Um, and I completely agree that about the whole like like it's kind of feels a bit condensed, um, and that it is setting up the next thing because this is most definitely a setup movie. But I it can definitely be enjoyed by itself, and I think that maybe its purpose is to introduce some new audiences as well because a lot of the existing Marvel fans are either already in. Or if they are like move it, get a bit fatigued. Like I feel like Disney and Marvel know like how to get those back in. Like it's not going to be hard. <laughs> You're hooked for life. <laughs> You're now an addict. Yeah, I've I've spoken to people that have dropped off since Tony Stark died. I've spoken to people that have like, where is it going to go now? I don't want to watch it anymore because Iron Man's not in it. And but also, know, do it's... they just not want to start a new relationship with new characters? Like they don't want to give a new character a chance. Conversation never got that deep. (laughs) It it, it might have been something to do with that, you know, but... When you have a breakup, you don't... You, like, you find it hard to then connect because you've you've just had a loss. (laughs) But I feel feel like it's less that and more a surface thing of Iron Man was really cool, where's Iron Man, you know? For some people, I imagine it is. Yeah, but those people, like, no one's ever going to live up to Iron Man because Iron Man is their... Like, that's their one icon. Like, they're not open to be have a new icon like that's just there's gonna always gonna be people like that i mean like correct me on this but am i right in saying people started petitions to bring him back i didn't know that i feel like that would be terrible that would be absolutely terrible i mean the characters are great when they have an ending uh it's over iron man is dead it should never come back yeah absolutely and if you really love him that much you can go back and watch the old movies yeah that's right absolutely for something new but then I wanted to talk about the well, like how they did set this scene, because I thought they'd done it really well. Yeah, like it was a lot to fit in. But I, when I was watching this, like I said, it was halfway between reading the comic. And what I felt is like, oh, they're trying to fit a lot in here that can't possibly fit in a movie. But I understand it. I understand the concept. I understand the gist. Like they've lived like since the beginning of they've been here since like the beginning of like humanity's first steps and have been there the whole time and have just been like in the background just like pushing us 
just helping us on our evolutionary past. There was just all these notes and comments and it was kind of like you didn't need so much world building because it exists so well in our world and in the um, the world in the MCU as well that it was just these like yeah notes and nods for you to understand because you already you already know our history and you already know the MCU so you, you don't need to be explained and actually reading the comics I always like the whole comic I felt over explained to about literally mm. everything <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> to yeah, the point that. where it just made my brain hurt because I felt like I was needing to process information but it was actually not new information and like even who I went to see it with like we both came out like, yeah, that was really good like I really understood it and like understood the whole concept and felt like I could relate to the characters and I understood them and I didn't need like over like amounts of explanation and maybe this film was just for like new audiences and to bring more people in and also they could make like an Eternals TV show where they follow each of the characters like each character could have or each couple could have their own TV show that's <laughs> on a Disney uh, drawing board uh, yeah. somewhere or, I, can, I can see that this show is this this film sorry I can see what Tazzy's saying that this film is a, a fresh start and in that way one of the issues that I did have with it and it wasn't to do with character or anything like that because I didn't have an issue with the the character work or anything like people have been talking about or or even connecting with the characters and understanding their motivations or anything like that. But I had an issue with how stark it was. It just felt like it was very, very stark and like it was missing some things, some flair. It felt very empty, very basic in the way that it was designed and you know like in the way when, when we're getting like specific shots and things like that things are just just felt very very basic very flat um okay. and even in i mean this is coming on to visuals now so i'm probably like jumping the gun here but this was my one of my main issues with it it didn't have that cosmic kirby fair like i'm i'm a big jack kirby fan i love jack kirby's work and although i agree with vic eternals isn't his best work his best work is probably new gods but like for, for for an adaptation to film of something that is that I I consider to be a a pure strain of Kirby imagination and work a pure strain of Kirby's artistic vision um, and this being like the purest thing that Kirby, the purest Kirby thing to ever be try to, for them to ever try and bring to the screen I think they could have they could have gone with a little bit more of a bang and and tried a oh, little bit harder absolutely yeah okay. I was going to say, because this kind of leads us into the visual aspect. And I mean, I, as I was watching it, I felt it, it's interesting you mentioned like it felt flat. I, I yeah, I get what you're saying. I thought it, it looked good as a film. And as I was putting the notes together, I, I was reading that director, uh, Chloe Zhao, uh, insisted on filming uh, certain scenes in real world locations. So you got those like, deserts you got like real deserts you got those beaches the rainforest those locations so rather than being on camden. a ca real camden <laughs> very, very wild environment <laughs> i saw that big plastic dragon and i was just like it's camden it's camden yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think i saw like the bridge and the like the it wasn't yeah. even that i was like I swear that is Camden. It barely even showed anything at that point. And I was like, I know that place. <laughs> I had that when, when they're walking down the side of the canal. Yeah. 
Funny enough, uh, the actress uh, for Makari, uh, Lauren Ridloff, yeah. she she gave me a store. So I work in Mega City Comics, which is in Camden. Of course, you're right there. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave me a store with the agent, and they would grab a few comics, a few Eternals comics. And, and I felt like, oh, wait a minute, they're shooting the Eternals in Camden. <laughs> <laughs> I missed That's your cool. chance for a cameo, dude. Like, could have they could have gone into your comic? They could have done some silly scene where they went into your shop. Uh, they, they, they don't want they don't want the um, the, the the Big Bang effect. Yeah. <laughs> in, in <those> <laughs> yeah. But she was uh, she was great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah she, really cool. she's uh, she's quite gracious. Yeah, just imagine a carist standing there, reading, flicking through an Eternals comic, going, "This isn't how it was supposed to go." Yeah, like, in Vic's store, yeah. like that's that could have been in there, you know. Maybe in the uh, TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll come back. They'll come back around. So, I mean, in terms of of the visuals, and here we could talk about the locations, uh, the fight scenes as well. There's some really felt some really cool fight scenes. I don't know if anyone had any particular favorite locations or particular visuals from fight scenes that stood out to them. Oh, Camden, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, represent. <laughs> <laughs> But the the rainforest was just like really nice, and then how the um, the uh, the deviants in that scene were like in the background. Mm. There's like a bit where the like big cat like one was like crawling down the tree, and then just wasn't there when whoever looked around. I don't know. It's just nice. It's like this weird, eerie, misty thing going on. Um, and then all the sort of older stuff when they were in, what's the big oh, like city? Mesopotamia. Not Mesopotamia. What did I? Was it Babylon? Babylon. Yeah, Babylon. Yeah. All of Babylon. It was just amazing. Mm. All of that was very cool. Yeah. yeah. I liked watching it. I liked watching a deviant turn into a tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yes. uh, that was quite impressive. Yeah, that that's probably that was probably my one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, sort of like fight scene wise was when uh, Cersei's fighting the Deviant and she turns a piece of tree into metal first and uses it as a spear, and then she turns the Deviant into a tree and realizes that her powers work on sentient beings. Yeah. Well, she turned it from a tree from the water, so you had all the water effects, and then revealing what had become uh, with her powers. So yeah, and like the um, the actresses. Uh, show, like showing the 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 surprise that like oh my god I done that, like you saw the weight of like what just happened. If you didn't understand that she couldn't, you you understood in her eyes then that it was a big deal. Is it time for me to drop the early X Men design bomb? Because it, it feels like early O's X Men a little bit sometimes. This is what I mean by how stark it is and how because it doesn't feel like recent comic book movies have been like where they've actually really leaned into the comic bookiness of the comic book movie thing. They've actually, I feel like this one, they scaled it back a bit. And I, and, and part of this is the fact that they did the deviants dirty. Oh, they definitely did the deviants. Dirty. Yeah. Yeah. They, I got a, a little bit of disappointment when I watched the first transformers and seeing how they did the Decepticons. Ugh. It's not as bad as that, but, I will say I'm disappointed not to see the style icon that is Crow being represented shades. fully. Yeah, and no shade. <laughs> I was very disappointed by that. So when we done the podcast off of, on Ace Comicals, I really wanted to talk about Crow because watching the film, and this was while I was still halfway through the comic, I felt like they'd done Crow Day when he yeah. starts talking um, and they're in the cave and... Yeah, at the end. He's battling Fina, yeah. And that's when he's, like, got a voice. 
and he starts talking about, I mean, we get a bit of it before, but really starts talking about how uh, they're the same. They've come from the same place. He's had all the memories and like, it's not fair. And that, like, I don't know, at that point I was like, they, there should be more here. Like they should have, I was like, I didn't want, I didn't want him to be killed. I wanted to explore that more. I was like, this character is so interesting. And I just got like this tiny little nibble and then reading the comics. And I was like, yeah, now that makes sense. <laughs> they kind of like put a little bit in there, but didn't really. And I was like, do you know what would have been better if you just didn't have that in there as if the deviants were just this random thing. That's exactly what we mean when we say too much. <laughs> yeah, because it, it is weird because, like, I know they were doing a cool thing where, because where, um, I didn't think the deviants looked good throughout. When they were in, the, in their animalistic thing, I was like, this yeah. is just not good visual design for action it's scenes. Not. It, 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 it's just, they it's look not. Messy. Yeah, they look messy. It's not fun to watch them be, uh, like, fighting. And, like, that first action sequence on the, on the like, the beach didn't do it for me it was cool seeing like the people using their different powers and stuff but the deviants i didn't like the design and i didn't really like how that opening action scene was shot um which is why when it uh like not long after we get the camden scene i was like oh, okay okay cool 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 like they can there <laughs> there's some decent action in in here but like i think that that element of it is just weird because they build up that one of these uh deviants is not like the others and I thought they were going to build to a thing because they were doing like the dual trio of, uh, of of big bads in this movie, having three bad guys, because Arisham sort of becomes one when they decide what their plan is going to be. Uh, I guess you could say Tiamat is the bad guy, passively. Uh, and then you've, you, you've got uh, Icarus' his turn, so he's a bad guy. And then you've got Crow, but they kind of set it up so it's like a rug pull, which which would have been fine, where it's like the deviants are the bad guys. No, it's, it's Icarus. But the problem here is that they start to build him up as he's evolving more. Mm. And I thought there was going to be a payoff with that. So, yeah, so when he just... Uh, especially with him killing uh, Gilgamesh, I thought, okay, they're building something. And then when it just becomes, oh, no, he's just another CGI creature for Fina to kill, it, it really, like... It hurt. Like, there was no reason for him to die in this movie. There's no reason for him to be in here, really. But if he had to be here, like, him dying in that way and not being developed in, in any way, it it's so weird. It was so weird. Maybe they were planning to go there. Maybe somehow there's a... Ver like, that he's not dead and that he's going to come back in the next movie. But just... It just... It was such a... It was so, flatlined. Flatlined. Like, yeah, the storyline was... And it flatlined. That is the one thing that i really didn't like <laughs> is this deadpool syndrome <laughs> where we're gonna have to wait 10 years for the, for the real crime <laughs> for the real, yeah maybe no. <laughs> visually speaking for me this was where the movie did worse actually oh, interesting well we're talking about the movie is literally called eternals and and uh, you know they're facing off celestials like all these big words and then director chloe zaho wants to give me uh rainforests and and deserts uh no not for <laughs> me you know i um again very rented movie valerian uh incredible visuals they should have definitely gone for a more uh french uh high visual spectacle uh give me give me crazy things 
I mean, Kirby's own work, every time that he was doing technology, it was a mass of, of beauty, <laughs> uh, cosmic beauty. And um, while in this movie, their ship is literally a chopping yeah. board. Oh, it's a black. I hate right, it's it. a black chopping yeah. board. Uh, it's absolutely a shame <laughs> what they could have done with this movie. I disagree massively. Even the yeah, celestials, um, even the designs of the celestials, they're cool, but they're not they're not varied enough. They just basically took one celestial design and then coloured it indifferently. Yeah. And their their costume design, just the scope. The scope is just like they're on Earth. I was like, okay. I mean most to be fair to me, most Marvel movies had this problem, even the cosmic ones. I mean Captain Marvel, it's like they have ships and it's just a classic spaceship. Oh, they are in this planet, and it looks a little bit more like advanced Earth, like in Guardians of the Galaxy. They never want to push the the visual fantasy. I don't know if it's deliberate. They want to have that Marvel look. But with this one, this was their big opportunity to introduce a lot of crazy visuals, uh, a lot of mind-boggling alien epic concepts. It should have been more Lord of the Rings in space and less very powerful Game of Thrones people. See, I disagree massively because I feel like part of the movie is like, look at the beauty of Earth. And it took a lot of like stillness and like, just like admire all these different Earth scenes for just like Earth, like look at us, look at what we have. And it didn't focus on all the like spacey, cosmic-y stuff because it was about how amazing how earth is, earth is and, and that we should saved. be saving this yeah and that like all the technology had to had to be able to fit into earth because of the nature of the eternals are very specifically designed to be sent to that like their planet and so it makes sense that everything could fit into earth yeah I think this is where you, we sort of run up with some of the things that we've um, been saying before, and I, I, I'm going to tie this back to visual, so don't worry, I'm, 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 on, I'm on the road. But like, I can see where both uh, of you, you uh, you're coming from, uh, Tazzy, and the, and I think this is uh, uh, like the core problem in the film with, with its structure, because if you think about it, both of what you want and what I want are part of this story but the problem is this story is in one movie because like the whole point of this movie is to be like it is the relationship between the eternals and humanity and and the effect that we've had on them and the, the effect that they've had on us so it makes sense that they would spend time in like uh, sand dunes and uh, and rainforests and at the same time this is a, a story dealing with super extraterrestrial like beginning of uh, existence beings uh, where you really want to lean into the uh, psychedelic Kirby stuff and I think that just normally with the story you have here as with a lot of the other Marvel stuff we've got uh, especially in, in the earlier phases they built up so you got one big bad you got the introduction to the hero and then the world opens up a bit more and then the sequel they get to deal with their their newfound powers or situation and it builds up a bit from there and there's some some Avengers crossover leading into an Avengers movie. And then the third movie is like, okay, I've I've seen the universe, I've seen everything now. How do I go back home and uh, and like deal with knowing that there's 
big stuff out there, but also trying to like look after Earth. And I think because that gets squished into one movie, you do get that issue where you're you're playing with these things where you're thinking, oh, like it would be so cool to see all this stuff, but because they've squished it all in here, you not you don't. There's no time for any of it because I think that the the cinematography is a strength here, but the problem is I think this movie has two cinematographers because it kind of does because you got um, the main uh, cinematographer is Ben Davis who's like a, a go-to Marvel guy and he worked on Guardians, Doctor Strange, uh, Age of Ultron, and I think that the problem you get there is that he also worked on like yeah Captain Marvel as you said so you. He is the house guy and Marvel have a house style. And that house style is in a way not to cookie cutter as a super negative pejorative, but to cookie cutter them so that the product is like a McDonald's you can get anywhere on the planet. It has to taste the same. And I think that is butting up against the other cinematographer of this movie, who is um, Joshua James Richards, who who's credited as being the camera operator. But he's the go to cinematographer for Chloe Zhao. He was nominated for an Oscar for for uh, Nomadland uh, this year, and he um, worked on her previous movies like The Rider. And I think that it is just the bumping heads of these two different styles. And I think that in some previous Marvel movies are better at bridging the gap between the, the machine and the artist. <laughs> and, and I think that here it's more of a, a defined line. So you, it does kind of jerk you out of the uh, uh, the spell that the movie has on you at times because you're like, oh, ah, oh, ah. And I think that's, <laughs> I think for us on this podcast who have neg- have some negative thoughts towards the movie, I think that we were able to accept that a lot more than like the reviewers who've like review, not review bombed, but who've given it negative reviews. Mm. I think that that was too much for them well i think we we're quite forgiving because we enjoyed a lot of other elements and i think all of that is why the movie feels the way it does to us <laughs> yeah yeah that's really interesting to consider i mean there's yeah there's so much about this film that like i said i uh, i really enjoyed it and what i want to do before we end because i'm uh, conscious of time is uh just give a chance for anyone to touch on any sort of character uh, moments and then any final thoughts because I mean I've still got a lot of thoughts but um, <laughs> I definitely want to uh, make sure we get to the get to the end so does yeah does anyone have any particular character moments I know someone mentioned earlier uh, one of mine was just just to mention the relationship between Thena and Gilgamesh because I think Leon has already touched on it but for me that that was that was the one for me. I, I felt that, I believed that. And I thought Angelina Jolie's performance for it in particular just brought a, a sense of sadness to a quite really powerful character of what she was going through. Yeah, the um, the Mad Weary and Angelina Jolie's portrayal of that with Athena, Athena and everyone, everything else. Like I, I, I really like, again, for me, that was like the, the relationship with them two was like a big one for me with Thena and Gilgamesh. Like I really felt that and really got into that. That was like, for me, I was going to say when you guys were talking about the relationships and things, that was like the most believable one for me. And also I really, really like Phaestos. I, I really sympathize with Phaestos. Like my heart yeah. broke for him. 
like honestly like that um hiroshima scene which i i, I think like i haven't really paid attention to the buzz since i see the movie because i blocked all the terms on twitter because spoilers <laughs> but I, I i seemed to i think i picked up that people think that the the hiroshima scene because it is quite kind of like heavy-handed that people like are making fun of it but that really worked for me because i'm a big fan of brian tyree henry anyway but like that really lets him on his knees like and like in, in the the devastation of that and just related to think back to just the most basic technology he would have given them at the beginning like that re- he really sold that for me that was yeah, a really a yeah. good moment for me agreed that broke my heart that did well, my heart broke for Faistos, basically, because <laughs> they'd already introduced that theme of, like, technology, like the dangers of giving humans technology. Yes, it's, like, too fast. He's going to give them the steam engine. They're, like, they're not ready for it. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> Druig saying, you're making all these weapons, it's you that's killing them outside of Babylon. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these characters had a lot of good things going on, and a lot of them had some pretty great storylines for their own character growth Mm. and i think that's where my disappointment is with the movie i really maybe should have been a tv show really flesh out all these characters because uh, even the sprite thing i think there is so much to explore Mm. there of a character that lives centuries and just still being a kid imagine how maddening that would be makari such a cool character and the whole druid thing i think everybody had a, a a really a really amazing potential, but they don't get explored as much as I really want it to. I agree with all your points, really. Um, the Gilgamesh, Athena thing. Angelina Jolie is absolutely a piece of Hollywood. She yeah. can. She's yeah. phenomenal. I wish she was more I in the movie. I actually forgot that. Like I forgot. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah. She's not because it's not a. It's not just an overt performance, but. The, the whole thing of acting is you believe the characters and just I just believed yeah. her character. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, even though some people are saying that uh, Richard Madden was a bit one-dimensional in Icarus, that's kind of, you know, that was his part in the movie. He had to be, you know, uh, he had to be the straight, the arrow, the uh, the believer. So he does what, what his characters needed to do really well as well. Uh, just wish there was more of that, less meddling the story and let the characters breathe a bit more. I think out of all the storylines that they had, Sprite is the one that was the most underused and I wish there was a lot more of her. That Sprite's the easiest one to make a uh, a TV show from. Yeah, true. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, like, I loved all that. There's so many like little moments, but I think <laughs> if I was to pick... <laughs> If so I was to pick one. a moment that I have yet to talk one of about, many. yeah, <laughs> would be when they go and go to like uh, reunite with Gilgamesh and Fina, and then I mean, a lot of that was really interesting. The way the pie dropped, that whole like shot <laughs> thing oh, yeah, was yeah. really well done. Just I think from the moment we get there to the moment we leave, just there was not one bit that I didn't love. But specifically, specifically, that at the table, uh, they're discussing the seriousness of everything and what they're going to do. And <laughs> they're drinking the wine, <laughs> the spit wine. <laughs> and uh, he breaks it to Kingo. 
and uh, was not happy about the spit wine and then just kept drinking it and being like, oh my God, why am I drinking this? (laughs) But that whole bit, like there's so many bits just in that scene that were really good. Yeah, that's that stuff is catnip to me. It just I love superhuman beings just sat around a table eating together and like bantering. Like yeah. um, in Age of Ultron, I just love them all in in Stark HQ, just like drinking and 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 like talking about who can pick up the the hammer and stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I love those <laughs> moments. I, I wish we got a lot more of them in, in in across all these movies. I love that stuff, especially mm. when you can add someone that's relatively normal. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, it. Yeah. So just comment like Gives just a poke and prod, yeah. Yeah. Uh I will say one other uh moment for me. Uh, I I really like uh Druig and the performance there. Uh, and it was a key moment at the beginning when uh Ajak was just had to remind him, you know, we don't mess around with the affairs of humans, you know, you could you, we know you can do something, we've got to let them be. And I think he's the first to kind of break away. Mm. And I just love the moment where he's like, I'm going to do something. If you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. I just love that kind of character. I'm just going to do my own thing. And then he just went off. And then that was the, I think that was the first kind of break apart um, or breaking apart of the, the collective. And then they later reunited. But yeah, I, I love that moment for that character. Wait, do you think of another moment? Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Okay, real quick, have we got to final thoughts? Drug and Makari, when they're in Babylon and they're like, we'll party in and that. And she she says to him then, um, you're not supposed to meddle. And then he replies mm. with, you're not supposed to steal. Mm. And it was just, so it doesn't sound as good when I explain it, but it was so well done because it was like their first little flirty bit. When you're like, are are they just it's friends like or is tell, there something more there? And like, they're just so cute. And they're kind of like the, other than Sprite, they're kind of like the children of the group. Mm. Like, obviously you've got Sprite, who is literally the child. Charlie. But then you've got those two that are like, the, they're like teenagers, I guess. Yeah. And that was like a real, like that moment. Oh, it was so cute. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, like I said. There's a lot to talk about, but before uh, we wrap this part, I want to give any final thoughts. There's a lot we haven't covered. If there's anything everyone wants to mention, speak now or forever hold your peace. I've got a few things, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll try and condense them down. Catching sort of the uh, the ball that uh, that Tazzy didn't throw, but she threw in my mind. Um, the stuff with like. Uh, like Kingo was interesting to me because I really like that when the whole thing of like him playing different versions yeah. of himself. Yeah. And it, it, it hits at what works for me with this movie, like warts and all is that there are like some big swings in there. And I'm the type to, I, I like when, when a film takes big swings, even if it misses. And um, yeah, there's like elements here that really work for me. Like, so the ball I was, that I was, I was catching was the one to do with uh, Druig, where actually that was the ball that you threw, uh, threw Nigel. So I'm, I'm getting lost. <laughs> my ball. Anyway, my ball. yeah, yeah. And, 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 um, I really like how the Druig stuff is done because it, it hints at like quite a, a, a large theme as a lot of the movie does, where what happens where when these people sort of break out of this sort of program programming because part of the idea of, of all of this and the 
the celestials and all that is like this is like religious fundamentalism and um like coming to terms with it because at the beginning they're just doing what they're sort of told and and they're, they're getting this message via ajax who's like the sort of head of the cult to, to be mm. honest she's, <laughs> she's the only person who can connect with the celestials she's she's like they're jim jones or whatever so it's like um so like and they all have like like with any um thing where you grew up in religion or whatever is that you at your interaction with other people who are not part of that you start to see more of the world and you have loads of questions and where it can often fail for a lot of people and why you have so many like lapsed catholics and, and such on and such on is because the, there aren't those answers aren't really there because they're kind of incompatible with and like an evolving uh, modern life. Uh, and I speak I speak like part of this from experience as someone who grew up in a super religious uh, home. And I really like how this ex is explored because everybody has their different take on that. So when Ajax says after Druig leaves, they sort of, they sort of like oh we well we've killed all of them like let's go our separate paths. I do like how everyone does their own thing because. In a way, Druig just becomes a fascist. He's like, the way to stop um, these people mm. killing each other is to control, control them, everything. Yeah. which yeah. Is, is like a dictator. And then you have people like uh, Fastos, who is like, no, the way to make life better is technology and science and like like medicine and all that. But then you give this stuff to people, it is going to evolve. And then that's when it sort of, when he gives up on humanity is after the, the uh, Hiroshima. And it's the whole thing of like, oh, this is like technology is not enough to save us. And it kind of uh, has echoes of like all these like tech bros in Silicon Valley who are trying to like reinvent stuff that we've already invented, but it's just not being used because of various governments or whatever. And it kind of has that feel of like, well, you can't cure all problems with technology. You need to, you need other stuff. Like it all needs to come together. And you have isolationism, which is like uh, Gilgamesh and... Uh, Fina, who are just like they, it just it feels like they're just disconnected from humanity and that, and it's just them just doing their own thing. But then that also living off the land, yeah, living off the land, ba baking tasty looking pies, and it it has that thing for me where, where their story is just them. It's it's support, and I do love that it's not it's not explicitly like romantic. I think that that makes it more electric for me because it it just this. It's it's so human this bond between like just like the, the most simplest thing someone can do for you is just to be there for you and like I do in love the worst how that times. Yeah. yeah and yeah in the worst times and spread and no out no matter what as yeah, well yeah no matter what spread out over cent uh, like uh, millenniums is it just it's a, it's a, a really cool way to like deal with that and how uh, Cersei has to try and intuit what the hell uh, the Celestials want from her at the beginning when she first gets the power. I do like how that's uh, done because her thing is that kind of being one of the weakest um, Eternals from the beginning, like when she doesn't really fully know her power, she that kind of puts her closer to humanity. And she's the one who, throughout the movie, she's the one who is interacting and with all the different societies they are. And I do love how you do get to see all these shades of um, like, not just the breaking up of a family, but how one deals with the problem that is humanity and our uh, propensity to destroy each other as well as love each other. And I, I really like how that is, is handled throughout. Um, 
And yeah, I just think that's really, really strong. And to uncomfortably move to my second point, like with, with Kingo, like oh, they introduced him with a Bollywood dance sequence, which is awesome. But I feel like I wanted to see more. Like, I feel like, I feel like we got the trailer for the Bollywood dance sequence. Yeah, we, I think we literally did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see the full version. Like, I feel like there's going to be a Kingo and Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> because that like really led into something like they really set i mean they set up a lot but they definitely yeah. set up a kingo and sprite and and then that had the one-two punch for me being like uh because i'm a big fan of uh come on N- but like i had the one-two punch of like what where's the rest of the dance sequence and then he's not there for the final battle what the hell yeah. the whole he point of the final battle yeah he's like yeah, I don't want to fight you guys, so goodbye. And it's like I kind of like his stance though, because it's kind of like I follow my religion, but yeah. also I'm not. I have my own, my practice own kind of and practice and yeah. ethos that I also stand up with, and that's that your family. So I'm not going to fight you either. I'm just going to yeah, and, it, and it, <laughs> it like it complicates the whole thing of like, oh, who are you, Team Icarus or are you Team Cersei? And I do like it complicates that by him, but like. I'm not. I'm not team any of that. I'm team. I like living on this planet and and stuff. And I, I'm team. I love all of you, but I don't yeah. want to fight you. But the down. The thing that makes it weird or in, in, incongruent from a weird thematic point is that isn't the whole thing with like the Unimind? They all connect. So was he over in <laughs> oh, India yeah. flying Just up like... into the sky, giving his power? Yeah. He must have been right. He must have been. Yeah. So, the whole Unimind plot was an absolute mess. <laughs> uh, again, uh, they connect, they have a Brassola, and then they connect, but people that don't have the Brassola, they so, still connect. Um, it, it was, that requires another hour yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it made perfect sense to me. They're connected because they're connected. Yeah, yeah. Because they were invented, like, they're not even found, they are they are literally built of the same stuff. <laughs> they should have done the Unimind in a similar way to the way they did it in the comics. And instead of forming a big golden head mind thing like it does in the comics, it should have just been Vin Diesel's head. Vin Diesel. <laughs> just get, get calling Vin. <laughs> but um, my, my final, final, final point is that, um, like relating back to what I was saying about I love big, big swings, there is a big JRPG energy in this movie and I quite like mm. it. I quite like yeah, it. Yeah, there is like, actually, isn't there? It's basically like killing gods and stuff, and I quite like that. Wow. It's, it's killing gods, but then you're also like good mates with these superpower people. You've been around for millennia, uh, and you still have conversations about basic stuff, but then you have to go and kill gods as well. And I, I really like that. I really like that. I did I did get it was the, the forgotten Final Fantasy game vibe, especially in the design <laughs> of the, uh, the, the, the deviants. And, uh, yeah, the outfits, the Eternals outfits is quite um, Final Fantasy-ish. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably a pro-choice movie in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but final final thought uh, for me was that uh, it wasn't all bad. Uh, it wasn't that good, and I feel like I think everybody would have been happier if this was twelve episodes on Disney Plus. You know, I'll gladly sacrifice what we just had, mm. and and this is how much I believe in these characters. I'll gladly let WandaVision, Loki, fucking with Zerg go just to have this <laughs> oh, wow. movie to actually be 12 episodes because you you can have the, the whole Deviant subplot. You can have, imagine episode 12, Icarus is the villain. 
so much better, you know, and, and just drop it on the day. Uh, there's so much here that uh, I think if they really, really believe in those characters and they really wanted to make them shine, 12 episodes on Disney Plus would have been better for me. All right. Well, you might still get it. So, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. know about letting the others go, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. in addition, in addition. <laughs> Yeah, just a statement of how yeah. much uh, I really believe in those, yes. I'd sacrifice this movie and I'd probably give up, let me think. I, I don't know if, actually, I'm thinking about the Disney Plus. I'd give up What If. I'd sacrifice this movie and I'd give up What If. I've not even yeah, watched yeah, What they If, so take, yeah, yeah, they can take yeah. They, they can take yeah. I'd, I'd sacrifice yeah. Loki. I mean, I'm into it, but not that into it. <laughs> um. Final... Final thoughts for me is just one phrase, basically, that this is just wasted potential because as much as I enjoyed the film and as much as I I, I enjoyed what was going on and, and I, I, I knew why they were doing what they were doing and I enjoyed I enjoyed the adaptation as much as I could. I, I, I liked this film. It was a good it was a good Marvel movie on a scale of like top of the Marvel movies to Thor the Dark World. It's closer to Thor the Dark World, but it was a, it's a, you know, it's a Marvel movie. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It, it, it's what I needed it to be. And it, it did what I kind of expected it to do really, but it just, it just felt like they just squandered so much, like the potential of the idea and the concept of the Eternals and all of the source material, not just the Kirby stuff. I'm talking about like everyone else's go at the Eternals, like the Neil Gaiman, uh, book and the is it is Kieran Gillen stuff that's happening, and I think I think it's just it's just wasted potential, like squandered potential. Like they could have, they like like you guys have been saying, if they'd given it a twelve episode TV series, it could have been so much more and so much well, so much better executed. We wouldn't have had these messy looking half monster, half transformer deviants. Uh, <laughs> we would have had something. A, a little better and a little more coherent, maybe. Um, it, uh, probably still streamlined, but at least it could have been more coherent, simpler, and cohesive, and possibly, you know, not feel as like square object bashed corners off it to fit into circle hole kind of thing as it does. Okay, Tazzy, give us your positive oh final thought. <laughs> How many final thoughts? Oh. Okay, my final thought is that this is a really great film and you should go see it regardless of what we have all said because it is a good yes, film. Yes, make up your own mind. Go well, into I mean, it. I we've done some of that, but... Yeah, <laughs> go into it with an open mind, an open heart, have a lot of empathy. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, like just don't judge it against other marvel films i feel like i say that about every single marvel film as a problem <laughs> that people have is stop holding them against each other take them as individuals they have their own identities okay and also i'm looking forward to whatever eternals tv show eventually comes out and all the wasted potential i think is less wasted and probably more they've put it in a pocket ready to pull on mm. when they need some mm. material. <laughs> let's, all, let's all try to be more Tazzy, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I co-sign what Tazzy says. And I'm yeah. I'm also glad that this has been something that has reawakened your interest in, in MCU. Oh, uh, and give my, me a whole series on Crow. Like, I, oh, yeah. I want... Oh, I want it can up, be, up, like, up, completely up. external from the MCU. Yeah. To give Crow something. Oh. 
and all right, the last thing I'll say is uh, to, to wrap up is I agree. I think it's been a really good conversation. The one thing I said that we haven't touched on because it's very personal to me, uh, gave me a moment of catharsis when Arishem basically pulled up the Eternals for disobeying his orders because all throughout the film, I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm all good. Like I said, you know, no one wants the world not to be blown up more than me. I'm, I'm pro world in one piece. However, he did give you direct orders and these guys just went about, disobeyed his orders. And you think you're not going to get pulled up? So when he snatched them out of the air to answer for their crimes, I was like, yeah, you're damn right. I gave you a direct <laughs> order. You can't say, say how it works. You don't just go make up your own rules. Like, come into my office. Like, you need to answer for this. So I was like happy at that scene. Um, but anyway, that is my... Well, <laughs> craziest thing is we hardly even spoke about Arsham. I know, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> because it's well, beyond like... our comprehension. We are but ants. And like the original source material, there's just so much to contend with that we can only cover so much. We had to jump yeah. around in this podcast and that is what we got to. So we understand Chloe Zhao's uh, difficulty, or at least I do. So that has been our thoughts on The Eternals. Yeah, go and see it. Make up your mind and let us know what you think. You can always send us uh, your feedback to feedback at mymatter.com. So before we wrap, we're going to go into this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. This is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. So for today's episode, I wanted to discuss creating multiple protagonists for your story. This is something that Eternals does with varying levels of success. But before we get to that, let's lay the groundwork and explain what a protagonist is. So your protagonist is the main character in any story and can often be described as the hero, but this doesn't tell the whole picture. It's the character whose perspective we see through the majority of the story. They have the goal, they are pursuing it in some way and are the center of your narrative but they don't need to be the hero of that story. Take Light Yagami from Death Note, who is not a good person. He has a god complex that is made infinitely more problematic when he discovers the Death Note, but he is the protagonist of that story. We know what he wants, and it's his view we see through the majority of that story. Within the MCU, we have Thanos as the protagonist of the Avengers Infinity War film. Whatever you may think of his goal to bring balance to the universe, he is the main character of that story for the same reasons of being the one who is driving that story arc forward. So we have a good idea of a protagonist. The question is, can you have multiple protagonists? The answer is yes, you can. But a better question is, should you? I find that multiple protagonists can be a great way to explore different sides of the same conflict in your story. As you will know from listening, I'm big on themes and depending on the themes in your story, having multiple protagonists would allow you to explore various aspects of your central theme. There are other reasons as well. Uh, we see dual protagonists with different goals and their own unique transformation over the course of the story. We can have conflicting protagonists like we see in romantic comedies or non-romantic buddy stories where there are two protagonists, each with arcs that fuse together by the end. Then there is the ensemble narrative and Eternals falls into this category and it can be the most risky to pull off. This is because each character of the main cast gives a significant contribution to the narrative 
has roughly an equal amount of importance and each can influence the other's journey throughout the story. One of my favourite films, Ocean's Eleven, handles this very well. Director Steven Soderbergh opted for a massive star-studded cast, but with a great script that provides each main character succinct individual introductions so we can easily identify and follow each member of the ensemble. And moreover, we care about what is happening. To be fair, a film like Ocean's Eleven has far less world building to also wedge into its runtime than Jack Kirby's work, so it's less of a challenge. I'm having the same consideration with the number of protagonists and world building with the soon to come Mayamada story 11th Hour. In theory, it has an ensemble cast of five main characters. Each will have a major impact on the main narrative arc throughout the story, as well as their own narrative arcs that intertwine with each other. However, what I've decided since we first thought of the story is to make one of the characters, who is Norio, the main character of the ensemble. So while the other four characters will still have their own arcs and impact the story, the overall story is about Norio's change and his impact. Doing that lets me shape the story's events and focus on one character a little bit more than the others. Hopefully that brings me more clarity to what will still be the most complex story we've ever made. So here are a few things to consider if you're thinking your story will need multiple protagonists. Number one, control the structure. The risk of multiple protagonists, especially an ensemble, is a story that jumps around too much and leaves the audience with no real sense of the storyline or care for the characters in it. You want to find a way to make each protagonist equally important and significant that works for the format your story is in. Number two, give your characters time to stand out. This should be the case in any story, but when you have multiple main characters, you need to ensure that they are included in such a way that sticks in the audience's mind and really makes them stand out. Paraphrasing from YouTuber Tyler Mowry, your protagonist characters may have the same goal, but they should be different people. As I mentioned with Ocean's Eleven, character introductions are a great way to do this, but separation can also come in the form of additional depth given to your characters as the story progresses. And number three, don't do it at all. As we've seen with The Eternals, having multiple protagonists can lead to complex plots and come with major hurdles. Eternals tries to deal with this by having more focus on some internals over others and still needs a very long long time to fit everything in. One key question to ask is whether each main character makes decisions that impact the main story arc. Background and supporting characters can get away with not making hard choices, but your protagonists can't. Generally speaking, if done poorly, multiple protagonists can risk confusing your audience and lead to them being detached from your main characters. Multiple protagonists is one of those storytelling tools that isn't mandatory, so really think if your story needs it or whether your narrative will be better served focusing on one main character journey. And that's your storytelling tip for this episode. There will be a video version of this tip later on YouTube. You can also send us your storytelling tips and we'll read them out here on the show. So whether it's a comic, a manga, a game, book or something else, send them to feedback at myamada.com or join our Discord and let us know there. And now we've done the tip for the episode. Tazzy, let's check in and see what our guests have been up to. So, uh, you know, we've had some great guests on today and we like to make sure all you listeners know exactly who they are and where you can find them. 
We'll start with you, uh, Vic. Tell us a bit more about you, if you have any upcoming projects and where we can find you online. Uh, yeah, all my upcoming projects are in my phone right now, uh, so <laughs> nothing uh, going on. But I, I am a comic book artist, and you can find me on Instagram uh, at VicTheLookAtComics. I'll uh, put the link right up now. And you can also find me managing a very busy shop in Camden Town called Megacity Comics. Website is megacitycomics.co.uk. But more importantly, my Instagram, Victor Luca Comics. Excellent. I love that you're like, more importantly, me. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, gotta, gotta, gotta hustle. Very yeah. good self-promotion there. I need to learn lessons. <laughs> and then, yeah, Ace Comicals. So, yeah, you can find us at uh, www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything that we do. We are a podcast about comics. We like talking about comics. That's what we do. We discuss comics. Comics in all shapes, forms, sizes, types, from anywhere, from anything. If if it is sequential art, we are game to talk about it. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find our little podcast. It's like a, it, we we kind of think of ourselves as kind of a zine, <laughs> but like a recorded zine, I suppose. Very nice. Yeah, and we also done a. This is part of like a a crossover podcast. Um, so make sure you check out that episode of Ace Comicals where we spoke about uh, the Eternals, the Kirby comic book. The seven, Eternals 1976, yes. We, that get, one. we get deep into that and, uh, you know, all that stuff that comes with it. So, yeah, guys, thank you very much for bringing your expertise uh, to this discussion. I feel like we're able to uh, pick apart the different things without the uh, sort of piling on, uh, in a sense, that I've seen on social media. So I appreciate that. I feel like I learned something as well. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us as always. Oh, thank you. You guys are phenomenal. And uh, thanks so much for having it's me. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And if uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode of Story X Story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Uh, you can also give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, wherever they let you review your podcast or just share links that works too it all helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions and don't forget to check out our own stories on the my matter website including our new release serious through the fog which is now real is in print uh, and i've got a copy uh, right here so go check that out along with our other titles mymatter.com forward slash manga uh, and you can also join our discord community where you can also give us your thoughts on this as well as uh, check out the gaming stuff that we do we have the next gamepad event coming up in the new year but also have monthly uh, studio 77 events happening uh, live on twitch and uh, notified on discord we release new episodes on thursdays and those include creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in and until next time, stay safe and remember, Rotten Tomato does not represent the people on the street, <laughs> or at least not all of them. Uh, take care, everyone. <laughs>